All right, well, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1, uh, starting out and talking about the environment and environmentalism and Christianity. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one right over here that you can use. And we, we kind of went through part of this last week. <clears throat> And uh, Genesis 1.26, this is God speaking. He says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So that word dominion, remember we talked about that last week. What, what does, does dominion normally have a good connotation when we use it? Not usually. Just by way of review, what are some of the thoughts, the things that come to our mind when we think of dominion? Like pictures. A lot of, one of the things that I think of is like a, a tyrant, right? Like, like a dominion, I have dominion, I have total control, I can do whatever I want. Well, often Christianity has been slammed as being, uh, some people say, the religion or the philosophy that says that we can do whatever we want to the earth and just rip it apart, you know, slash and burn, let the bodies hit the floor. But verse 27 is the key. We learned last week about animals. It says, and so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God once again says that man is supposed to be the one who is in control and who's supposed to use the creation for the glory of God. So now we live thousands of years later, okay, and we live here in the U.S., and often there's one, one group who says that well, we need to um, allow people to make money and then there's one group that says we need to protect the earth. So often, if you're like me as Christians, we say, well, what do we actually do with this, right? And so to start this off, I'm going to show you um, a quick video of a group on one end of the spectrum. And uh, if, you, if you guys want to get tempted to laugh or, or whatever reaction, it's totally, it's totally fine. Don't feel constrained by, by whatever. This is not staged, by the way. <clears throat> Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails violation of American nature. Bring me to this cathedral. Bring me to those guys. Bring me to 
life. That makes me feel alive. I looked at clear cuts and burnt forests, and I felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. And I'm just going to go ahead and cut it right there. <coughs> um, responses there. To talk to me about what went through your mind. <coughs> At any aspect of that video. Would you guys agree with saying that there was probably a lot of passion within that group? Maybe like we really believe that this is this is an important thing. Um, the second lady in, in the video there talking about this is this is my cathedral, right? Just put me here with these trees and these things and, and this rock that has an incredible life. But we, we know that you know rocks are not really alive, even though they're they're a part of the world, you know, even maybe a pantheist wouldn't Somebody who believes that God is all really make an equation between that. But it's an interesting thing, though. Um, <clears throat> I think it's helpful for us as Christians to understand if a person is consistent with the belief pattern, um, what was everybody wearing in some shape or form in that video? Cotton. What's that? Cotton. Cotton? Okay. All right. Yeah, clothes. And uh, the lady he's talking about is my cathedral. There was a brand. I couldn't tell because the quality of the video was not that great. It's like 240p, you know. Um, but it was some type of emblem, and, and clothes come from, what's that? Plants. Yeah, plants, factories. So if I'm going to be consistent, then if, if I'm saying that, that nature alone should be untouched in every shape or form, that we shouldn't use nature, not exploit nature, but use nature for the benefit of people, then I should not ever take um, anything to where a tree has been used, or any type of natural um, resource at all. So really, what I would be relegated to is to make my own clothes um, out of trees that have fallen down and so forth. And we're, we're not even making fun of, of, of that group of people, but I think it's very helpful for us as Christians to understand there are a lot of people in the world that are very passionate about things, okay? And kind of what you said, Fred, is, is, is there the same amount of passion for people, right? Like, like last week, we talked about some people within the... Uh, the animal rights movement. We looked at how the Bible talks about the proper treatment of animals. Said, I think it was the, the founder of PETA, uh, a dog is a boy, puppy is a boy, and a boy is a puppy. In other words, life is life, and there's no difference at all on any level between humans and any type of, of life form. So that's us as Christians who believe that God exists and there's sanctity of human life, that really um, builds over an environmentalism Christianity. But then somebody will say, now, haven't Christians been the ones who have put forward saying, well, God, Genesis 1, uh, God gave us dominion to overall the earth and said subdue it, so that means that we're supposed to go in and just do strip mining any place that we can. Does that mean um, what the Bible, is that what the Bible is teaching? And it's, and it's not, but we're going to uh, look through some of this. This is kind of our, our big idea with, 
one way we could, could put what the Bible's teaching in a sentence here. God created the earth and natural resources to reflect his glory by way of providing mankind basic necessities, enjoyment, and the opportunity to reflect the image of the creator through the creative use of those natural resources. Um, remember back in Genesis that we just read, Genesis 1.27, um, in whose image was man created? In the image of? Right, that's one of three chants, right? God, Jesus, read your Bible. So that's who we were created to be, and when we think about it, if God in his essence is all good and all powerful and does everything that which is right, he's always just, God created us to be like him, and God gave us, in a sense, a chance to reflect who God is in the way that we have dominion over the earth. So right off the top, that cancels out um, people simply destroying the environment just because we can, right? Or pollute just because I own my company, I can go ahead and pollute this river that's going to kill every organism in the river and poison people downriver just because I can. We know from inside that that's not a moral thing to do. We know that God has created us with, the, with appreciation for right and wrong. So that's, we're just going to walk through this and kind of unpack this. Um, we'll watch that video here in a minute. But here, here's, here's uh, something that comes up often. Um, we as Christians believe that Jesus is coming again. Okay, The second coming of Christ. We know that the Bible says that the earth will not remain forever, right? When Jesus comes back, new heaven and new earth. So some people charge Christians with being the ones to say, well, since the earth is not going to be here forever, we don't really have to take care of it. So here's a question I want you all to discuss with me. Does the doctrine or what the Bible teaches about Jesus is coming again, does that support or demand that we abuse the environment? Because this is one of the first things that comes up in this discussion if you say that you're a Christian. Do you think that the fact that we believe that Jesus is coming back to restore all things, does that necessitate that we abuse the environment? What would you say if somebody charged you with that? I think God gave us the world to enjoy and to protect and care for. I don't think we are to abuse anything. Mm. So I, I would not think that, no. Okay, all right. Good, good. Very good. Do you think that just the fact that we know that the Lord is coming back one day to restore everything, wouldn't that cause us, since we're made in the image of God, and then since we've been saved to follow God, wouldn't that cause us to kind of right now reflect his image by taking care of what he's given us? But even more so, I would believe for Christians, we have a true ethic that teaches us, number one, there is something such as wrong and right. Because remember last week, if God doesn't exist, is there really anything such as right and wrong other than what we decide? At the end of the day, if God doesn't exist, then it's just you, me, people from wherever, we're all people, and who's to say one person is right or somebody's wrong? So the Bible teaches that God does exist, philosophy supports it, science supports it, but what's neat is that we also have a reason for taking care of the environment and not to abuse it because the Lord created everything, it was good, and he's coming back to, and here's the interesting thing, Jesus is coming back to mend what sin has broken. So if we follow Christ, if we've renounced a life of sin, therefore we've renounced a life that's going to bring damage to things that are good. 
So I think it's really, really neat, and we'll unpack this more. <clears throat> uh, so here's, here's one of the biggest things people ask. Why would we even talk about Christianity and environmentalism? environmentalism? Well, there's three reasons. Number one, environmentalism makes moral claims. Um, let's say, uh, go back to our video. Uh, what do you think that the people would say uh, in the video about the logging industry? Good, bad, immoral, evil? Well, they, they think it's evil because they're cutting down the old growth, saying that it's killing trees. And I always thought that that's a really idiotic argument, even if you weren't a Christian, or even looked at it from that aspect, simply because if you don't cut them down, eventually they're going to die by themselves. Okay, okay. And actually cause forest fires. Okay, so in other words, kind of like the um, making sure that deer populations don't get out of control, mm -hmm. something along those lines, okay? Uh, really, anybody, when they make a statement about the environment, let's think about uh, BP oil spill, right? Remember, remember that? That's bad, right? That's it's not a good thing, big oil pollution in the ocean, right? Um, environmentalism, um, and we'll, we'll talk about it, we'll define that here in just a moment, makes a moral claim that if you pollute, that is morally wrong. The Bible also makes statements like that. Number two, environmentalism makes claims of value, things of value such as this is a good thing. What's a valuable thing? The earth. The name of the group in the video was Earth First. Uh, third, environmentalism makes claims about areas of life that the Bible makes claims about. The, the way that we farm, um, the way that we hunt. We're going to look at a verse in the Old Testament. It's kind of strange, but it actually says, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this in just a second, but it says that when you're, when you're hunting, you're not supposed to take, if there's a bird and it's the mother and she's nesting, do not kill that bird. Interesting. Especially when you think about this was given thousands of years ago to it was kill or be killed. It was um, five teeth for one tooth, five eyes for one eye. It was not an equal um, type of um, place. So here's environmentalism according to Webster's. It's the advocacy of the preservation, restoration, or improvement of the natural environment, especially the movement to control pollution. Now, according to that definition, is there anything in there that Christians have to disagree with? Advocacy of the preservation, restoration, or improvement of the natural environment. Should Christians be against that? I would hope not, right? I mean, that would be kind of bad to say. We want to, all right, First Baptist Church of wherever, our job is to pollute. You know, everybody dump here when you change your oil, just let it run out into the rivers. That'd be weird. The movement to control pollution. But here's, here's the difference. The question is how we go about that, right? Like often in politics and anything, a lot of times people have a goal. They say, this is good, but how do we actually go about that? So here's the biblical view on environment versus environmentalism. Um, the earth and all it contains has been given to man for the purpose of, and there's four reasons, and we'll go through these the rest of tonight. Number one would be reflecting the glory of God. Number two, reflecting God's goodness which means God is good, so he provides for man's necessities. Number three, reflecting God's greatness, provision for man's enjoyment. In other words, God could have just given us the basic necessities, but he gives us this amazingly huge, beautiful, awesome world, and it's after the flood, 
And we live in a world that is cursed by sin, but it's still an awesomely beautiful world. Um, Number four, reflecting God's image. This is going to be the coolest part, I think, tonight. The opportunity for mankind to properly govern, like it says in Genesis 1, and creatively put natural resources to use. Since God, in his essence, creates, he's creative, we can also use the natural world um, to be like him. So number one, the reason why um, God gave everything to us is to reflect the glory of God. Um, Let's go ahead and go to Psalm 104. This is probably the bulk of where we're going to be tonight in the text, Psalm 104, and um, it's a very, it's an awesome psalm. Um, there is a total of 35 verses, so we don't have time to go through all that tonight. But check out uh, verse 10 in Psalm 104. It says, "This is speaking. The psalmist is speaking to God. You make springs gush forth in the valleys." They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You guys ever noticed out in, maybe you're watching a nature video or you see it for real? It's an awesome thing when we think about our little speck called planet Earth, right? And how all of the planets, at least of which we know of, are really not inhabitable, except for some people think they may be little microbes on, on Mars. Um, in verse 14, the Bible also says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth good food or bring forth food from the earth. Also in verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. Then go over to verse 31. So here's kind of the response. And I think this is such a cool response. Um, Like if you guys have ever gone on an epic hike, maybe you're on the top of a mountain looking down, or a day of fishing or a day at the beach. This is kind of our heart's cry here. Verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. And here it is, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is an amazing, I guess you could call it an environmental song. Um, It's where people are looking and experiencing all the blessings of God and creation. And it's like, man, I look, I see everything's taken care of. Food, water, seasons. You put a little thing called a seed in the ground and you drop some liquid called water on it. And after a while, it gives a bunch more seeds. And then when you plant those seeds, they give more seeds. I mean, how does that happen? It's God's blessing. So it's reflecting the glory um, of God. And here's, I'm just going to read this to you. This comes from from an article called The Four Most Important Biblical Passages for for a Christian Environmentalism. Actually, you can find this free online. It will be in the notes. It's a really great article. But here's here's the main points of it um, because we don't want to be here till midnight. Number one, God created the earth and all things in it, and he continues to sustain the earth and all things in it by the loving exercise of his sovereign power. Here's the question for us as Christians. Does the earth and all it contains, namely humans, deserve for God to keep it continuing going? Do we we deserve, because of anything that we've done, for God to give us life another second? 
Absolutely not. So it's because of his loving exercise. The fact that we take another breath is God's love. Number two, uh, the earth and all things in it belong to God by virtue of his creative work. And all things find their reason for being fundamentally in relation to him. Number three, the earth and all things in it were created perfectly, each creature in itself and the entire creation in its interrelatedness. In other words, before the fall, there was no um, animal world to where <clears throat> the, um, the lion is killing the zebra. There was no animal fighting. There was none of that. That's all a cause of sin. What's cool is in Isaiah, it talks about at the end, when God restores everything, it says that the lion will eat grass um, like any type of uh, grass-eating animal. So there's going to be the eradication of animal-on-animal animal violence. Number four, even after the entrance of sin into the created order, this perfection, and we can see this, right? Even after the entrance of sin into the created order, this perfection still shines through so as to be perceivable by man. Thus, creation continually bears witness to the perfections of God and promotes in man praise towards God. And that's exactly what we just read in Psalm 104. So the fact that even though we may go on a picnic in a beautiful area, and right, you know, you're there for your picnic, and all of a sudden you lean over, there's thorns, right? Open up your, your picnic food, and all of a sudden there's ants. You, just, you, you, you get the ants away, flick them off of, of the blanket, and then all of a sudden there's flies, there's mosquitoes. But even through all that, we can still know, man, this is an amazingly beautiful planet. Um, and then uh, also Psalm 115, 116, the heavens are the Lord's heavens. I like that, right? The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But uh, the earth he has given to the children of man to do what? For us to reflect his glory, for us to be like him in the way that we use the earth. Um, Calvin said this, God has been pleased to manifest his perfections in the whole structure of the universe. On each of his works, his glory is engraven in characters so bright, so distinct, and so illustrious that none, however dull and illiterate, can plead ignorance as their excuse. Which means you can be the, the dullest knife in the drawer and look at a sunset and be like, dude, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> secondly, the earth and all it contains has been given to man for the purpose of reflecting God's goodness. Uh, Psalm 8, 6 through 8, the Bible says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. I think Daisy fits in there somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passeth, uh, passes along the paths of the sea. And right here, the name slips me, but this verse right here was actually, um, the, I guess you could say, the catalyst brain starter for the British guy who discovered um, that there are actually paths in the sea, the Gulf Stream and so forth. He was reading his Bible and was like, okay, there must be paths of the sea. What does that mean? There must be paths in the sea. He found paths in the sea, and that's how our shipping operates even to this day. So I think that's very cool. Um, verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think that often, um, I don't know if you guys, like in church, we, we can talk about a lot of these so-called spiritual things, but, but we pass over the fact that God has given, this, given us this beautiful place, especially, and I grew up in Louisiana, and that's like the, uh, the armpit, United States, and the area that we grew up in, and it was kind of like a 
a growth on the armpit. If you know, it's it's an ugly place to be. I mean, you, you know, you got to run inside the house because of mosquitoes. This is a beautiful area of the country, and so look out because in Louisiana, you definitely know that the earth has been cursed. So you can you can say that if you talk to any LSU fans for sure. Um, but like when you look at this, that that should cause that should cause us to have I mean great great praise towards the Lord. Like I think often. Um, like, for example, when I lived in Florida, I knew surfer guys, and they were like, dude, you know, like, this is my church, bro. This is my church right here, out here on the beach. And, uh, and they say, this, this is how I, I get connection with God. Well, well, why shouldn't a Christian looking at the amazingness of a sunset, the amazingness of, of, of the Blue Ridge Parkway, why shouldn't that cause us to sit back and say, not only is this awesome, but I know who did this, not just some nameless Deity, right? Um, third, <clears throat> the reason why God gave us dominion is to reflect God's greatness, to provide for man's enjoyment. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, O Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You think about this. Why couldn't God have been boring? Right? Like think of the Matrix. Um, when they're actually in, in the real world, they had that stuff that they ate. It was looked like just ground up oatmeal, and it just had all that you needed to survive. But there wasn't anything in there that was interesting at all. God created a world so awesome that you can even find things that taste good. I know often for us Christians we we, we overlook that, but God created the world to show His goodness. Here's what you need to survive, but He did it in a way that had awesome creativity. Um, Jeremiah 31.5, again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. You think about things like gardening. Think about things, I mean, anything to do with nature, most of the time it's an enjoyable thing. It's God has given us the world not just so we can survive, um, but so that we can enjoy. What would that say to you guys, and you should talk to me about this, what would that say to you when you think about God has given us a world that not just keeps us alive, but as the possibility of being enjoyed. What does that kind of say about God? Even though the world has sin in it, even though it's been cursed since the fall, and what does that say about the fact that we can still enjoy the world? It shows how much he loves us. Okay, yeah. Shows how much he loves us, definitely. Um, anything else? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great insight. Um, also don't don't you think that the fact that God has given us the earth to enjoy that still has all sorts of problems, it's filled with sinful people. It's filled with an animal world that's at each other's throat. It's filled with disease, but still we can enjoy it. But don't you think that, that may be like a little window into how much we can enjoy God himself? Right? Like if his gift is awesome, even though we've jacked it up, then how much greater is the one who gave the gift? And even more so, how much greater is it when God gives us his gift of Jesus, Right? his only son to us, even though we didn't deserve it. So I think that even, even things such as gardening should produce worship for, for Christians. Um, finally here, uh, reflecting God's image 
<clears throat> the opportunity, this is the reason why God has given us the world to reflect God's image, the opportunity for mankind to properly govern and creatively put natural resources to use. This comes from Exodus 23, 10 and 11. It says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its shield, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and, let, and lie fallow. Don't farm it. That the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Leviticus 25, 1-7 also says to give the land a chance to rejuvenate. Now, if God didn't care anything about how we take care of his world, why in the world would you have this in the Old Testament? Some people say, well, because God knew that if they over-farmed, they would eventually starve. Duh, right? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that. But don't you think that, I mean, the number in here, God's taking care of the poor, that's a huge theme in the Old Testament, but often today Christians are the ones who are accused of being the ones who don't care about the poor. If we actually read the Old Testament, it talks a lot about the poor. And not only that, God is talking about not just your, your farm animal, but so that the beast of the field, wild animals who you don't really get any benefit of or from, so that they can also have something to eat. That's awesome. Um, here's just a few things from the Old Testament that, that talk about uh, our governing of God's um, creation. Fields are not to be reaped uh, to the border. In other words, leave a little bit, leave a little bit for the poor, leave a little bit for the animals. The grower may harvest, but only from trees five years old. So the whole concept of farming that would uh, violate that would be um, unbiblical. Number three, the land is to be idle regularly, like we just read. So that it has time to, to regroup and rejuvenate. Fruit trees may not be used for siege works. Interesting. Why, 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 why would the Bible include something so random as that? For making a siege machine. Well, don't you think that humans kind of have a pretty big tendency for violence? Maybe. Don't you think maybe in, in the human, sometimes the passion to take over other nations has the possibility of exploiting the earth that God has given um, and here's the other one. The mother bird is not to be taken with her young. Genesis or Deuteronomy 22, 6. So in other words, even animal life should be uh, respected when people are hunting. An ox is not to be muzzled when treading corn. We read that last week as well. So here's um, one thing that often I think we, we overlook. Progress in the environment. There's been a change in mindset over the last, I guess, 100 or so years before uh, about 200 years ago, 300 years ago, most people, what do you think that they worried about? Like, let's, let's go back to maybe um, pre-1500s. What do you think most people, was the, what was their biggest concern for the day? Eating. Yeah, eating. And as society has progressed, do most of us in the West worry about, am I going to be able to eat anything today? I mean, if you're like me, you're like, I just don't want to eat my own cooking, Right? I mean, I, want to, but I don't have to worry about if I'm going to be able to eat anything today. So for most in the West, basic necessities are a given. We have what we need to survive. Even people here uh, who are poor, as we've often heard uh, many times, our poor people compared, most of the time, not, not all the time, but most of our poor people compared to people in other countries are actually rich. Hence, time and energy have shifted from survival to speculation about non-necessities. And here's an interesting thing. Um, about green technology in developing countries. There's a lot of countries that are developing in the world because of fears of, of pollution. 
Um, they're being denied through the United Nations. We could talk about this a long time. Um, the ability to actually uh, farm, to have energy, to have things that w- would produce some amount of pollution, but they're having the Western standards of green technology forced on them. If you guys ever tried to go green with, it, with anything, from light bulbs, for example, it's expensive. And when you're talking about somebody who makes around, what, $2 a day, we're talking about deep, 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 deep poverty. It, it may be for us as Christians, I mean, and I'm interested in what you guys think on this. And what, what do you think a Christian response should be to this? To developing countries and pollution. Do you think that it, that it always means that if we allow people to develop as countries, that it means that they pollute everything that in sight? Do you think there's always a correlation there? Do you think there's a middle, middle ground? Or Well, that's... It's kind of a gray area in some ways. That I was just listening to a thing talking about China today, and they're having a problem with their culture because they're starting to be westernized in their culture, mm-hmm. like their entertainment and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And as they progress in their technology and become more westernized, they haven't had the stewardship when it comes mm-hmm. to pollution and things like that. They pollute like crazy. To the point to where their their air in a lot of their cities is is literally hazardous to their own health. Mm. It's just that bad. I appreciate you bringing that up, Michael. Actually, do you remember um, my friend Jeff Repass, who was here? I think last time he was did some work in China. He was in a, a huge city. They called him one of the cities of fires. A huge industrial city there. And he says, Jeff, it was so bad that when I came home in the evening from teaching there, he said I would blow my nose into a Kleenex and it would the Kleenex would be black. Like that's that's how much pollution. Um, when I was in Kazakhstan, it was the first time in my life where I ever fully appreciated people who are trying to make sure that the earth is not destroyed by pollution. Imagine if you could, we were in, in the capital, it was the former capital city, it's kind of in a bowl, kind of LA-ish. And it was kind of like um, if somebody, if you strapped around a diesel can and you opened it up around your neck, that's the way that it smelled wherever you went in the city. It smelled like diesel fumes. And if you breathe that all the time, if you're in, like, for example, China, in fact, there was a study that was done a few years ago. They had these, these big towers uh, in the Pacific Northwest trying to catch particles in the air. They're actually catching hardcore pollutants from Chinese factories all the way across. So... It's something that, that definitely concerns everybody, but for developing countries, the question um, is uh, this. The accusation against Christianity. Quote, Christianity's human-centeredness is destroying the earth. Human-centeredness means that there's a sanctity of the earth, that humans are um, creating the image of God, so humans should be protected. Um, do you think that that's... What, what would you say to this? Maybe stretches that a little bit and interprets that. Human-centeredness. Well, a lot of times when they're using that argument, <clears throat> that really would be more, more applied to some like a Hindus and things of that sort because of the population explosion. But okay. you get into the whole thing of is the world overpopulated? A lot of mm-hmm. people would debate that on both ends of the extremes. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I think in God's wisdom, if you want to call it that, 
in this case, some of that self-limiting. Whenever mm -hmm. there's an overpopulation area, they will run out of resources mm -hmm. and it becomes self-limiting. Mm -hmm. And they will move. Right, right. Sometimes I think God designed it that way just so people would spread from one part of the world to another. And in fact, that's what, he, that's what he told them, right? Go, go into all the earth where we see at right after... Um, the flood as they all concentrated there um, in the Tower of Babel. But let, let's look at this claim. Is Christianity in its, in its essence, the gospel, is the gospel solely focused on humans? Are we the point of it all? Or is there something or someone else that's really the point of Christianity? Jesus is the point of it all. Yeah. Um, and here, here, here's one response that we put here. Christianity is not really human-centered, it's God-centered, Right? When God saves us, do we get benefit from that? Man, absolutely. We changed heart, changed life, going to heaven when we die, purpose for living. But the ultimate reason for that is the glory of God. It's not just human-centered. So when we um, deal with the earth, in fact, we're about to run out of time here. Um, I'll just read it. This is from a great article, and it's, it's all in the notes. To reject human stewardship is to embrace, by default, no stewardship. In other words, if you reject Genesis chapter 1, then you really don't have anybody um, in control. The only proper alternative to selfish anthropocentrism or man-centeredness is not biocentrism, but theocentrism. A vision of earth care with God and his perfect moral law at the center and human beings acting as his accountable stewards. That's the key for Christians, that we say, you know what? Humans are not the point of it all. The earth is not the point of it all. Neither are animals the point of it all. But God is the point of it. But who is God? That's the biggest question for philosophy and theology, college campuses. Who is God? And if we understand that God is who he said he was in the Bible, then our care for the earth is going to be full of love. It's going to be full of compassion. It's going to be full of justice and truth. And I'm going to show you a video before we um, end up here. We're just going to pass over this. Um, good walk through these and show you a quick video called The Gospel Response from the head of the uh, American Family Association. It's pretty cool. Here are three things that I wrote down that I hope will be helpful for us as Christians um, when we talk about the environment. Number one, um, does the policy respect the sanctity of human life? Whatever environmental policy, we as believers understand that the sanctity of life is important, right? Uh, number two, does this policy respect the sanctity of property rights? Why would that be important for Christianity? Because we, we learned from Russia and a lot of those places that when nobody really has control um, of an area, it ultimately doesn't get taken care of. And the best way to preserve things often is private property uh, owners who are given uh, incentives to take care of that. Because here's the thing. If it's your property, then you're going to want to take care of it. If it's no one's property, then really... That's a, black, a bag flying across the parking lot with the wind, but it's not my bag, mm -hmm. see? So I'm going to be less inclined to, to pick it up, and it's not my parking lot. Uh, number three, does this policy respect the separation between human and animal life? Uh, we know that a boy is not a dog, and a dog is not a boy, so humans are, um, by definition, the point um, of God's, God's creation on earth. So here's, um, I wish we could get into that. Here's the video called Gospel Response. Whether we're talking about a naturalistic view, the material world is all there is, or panentheistic, 
God is everything or is in everything, one ism is at the heart of most environmentalism, and it rejects the two-ism of biblical Christianity. God, the creator, is distinct from creation, rules it, and holds his rational creatures accountable to obey his laws. One ism doesn't recognize the reality of sin or the need for atonement and reconciliation to God. Thus, one ism dulls people to their need for the saving work of Christ. Twoism, on the other hand, leads us back to our Creator, His law, our sin, and our need for reconciliation with Him. Truly biblical earth stewardship not only obeys God's instruction in Genesis 1.28 for us to subdue and rule the earth, but also can be a platform for gospel witness, something that I, as a former pastor, can especially appreciate. People's interest in the Bible generally, and the gospel in particular, rises when they hear that the Bible teaches many sensible things about caring for the earth. Many real environmental problems are rooted in the sin of thinking only of ourselves and not of others. Sin for which we deserve God's judgment, and for which Christ's death is the only atonement, and the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work is the only deliverance. Sins of lying and carelessness about the truth lie at the root of many false environmental scares, sins that alienate us from God and each other, and need correction by the followers of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. As faithful Christians, we need to turn our attention back to humanity's ultimate problems, not landfills or pesticide residues or greenhouse gases, but sin, guilt, and the coming judgment. To learn more, visit www. By the way, the, the, the one-ism he's talking about is God is the world, the world is God. But the two-ism is that God is separate, God is transcendent, and here we are. So in other words, I'm not God, you're not God. Going back to our first video, the rock, which apparently has a great life, is not God either. But um, I, I think that's a really, really good way to put it. But do you guys have any, any questions or comments about what we've talked about tonight, can of worms that we've opened up. The thing that kind of strikes me is having spent a week with my biologist daughter. Mm. And, and she just is University of Arkansas, Ph.D. in? Working on Ph.D. in biology. Okay, yeah. And uh, she starts geeking out, talking in just really, really deep detail, but as you listen to her, if you, if you listen to the theme voice she's talking about, it is amazing the sheer complexity mm. that God created. And I, I find it funny when people think of evolution and that sort of thing and, and just don't marvel at God's creation because the average layperson really doesn't have a full grasp of just how complex and intricate God created his natural world. And it's like the more she gets into it, the more she gets fascinated that it's amazing how, how intricate mm. life is. Mm. Awesome. And that's true for sure. Good deal. Anybody else? Well, uh, I'll, we'll have this up on the, on the website if you, want to, if you guys want to go check it out. There's actually a couple of really good videos on there. We just didn't have time to, to do it tonight because we have... We run out of time and we're having fun. So let me pray for you guys and then y'all be safe on the way home. Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing group who's come out on this uh, really cold, really rainy night. I pray, God, that you would bless them.
for their willingness to come hear the word. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to continue to study, to, um, to be open to your spirit, Lord, about how our use of what you have given us to use for your glory. Um, that you, Lord, she would help us to be responsive to that and, and for us to um, realize that, that that's a way for us to reflect your glory. But most of all, uh, Lord, as Fred mentioned earlier, that, that, that we would be more concerned about the souls of people um, that are not renewable resources because your word says that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. So Lord, would you help us to be passionate about um, the things that your word teaches, but most of all, um, Lord, what your word teaches about what is most important and that's about your glory and the salvation of people. And we ask all this in your awesome, mighty name. Amen.